Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. You know, the entire focus here has got to be about chasing greatness. And I think everybody at the end of the day has this idea that we want to win. Right? Everybody wants to win, right? Everybody does their opening press conference every year about we want to win, or their press conference on a Monday about wanting to win Saturday. Clearly, we are going to be the same way, but ultimately, we have to focus on the task at hand, all right, the daily process, so that everybody walking into this building that comes to work uh, is focused on being the best version of themselves every single day and building towards those goals, building towards that greatness that we all want to achieve. All right, and when we get there, uh, it's going to be very gratifying. Straight out of Austin, Texas, it's On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com, with your hosts, statesman sports columnists, Cedric Golden and Kirk Bowles. Often imitated, never duplicated. Hear it here first, On Second Thought. On Second Thought, episode 206, brought to you by Bud Light and Hook'em.com. I'm Cedric Golden, and I'm joined by the Duck, Kirk Bowles. And Duck, our listeners just heard the melonic tones of one Steve Sarkeesian, who's the brand new head football coach at the University of Texas. Sark is all about chasing greatness. Is he going to be able to catch greatness on the 40 acres, my brother? Well, yeah, it's a million-dollar question, said as we all know. And, you know, it's such a fine line. Is, is the program broken? No, it's not broken. But when you look at it, I counted up since 09 when they won the last time they won the Big 12 and went to the championship game. Yeah, drop knowledge. They've averaged 5.4 losses a year. That's brutal. That is a brutal number, Doug. In 11 years. And you throw out this year abbreviated schedule where they only played 10 games counting the bowl game. It's 5.7 losses a year, almost six losses a year. Is that amazing? It just staggers me when I see those numbers. And when you look at what the fan base expects, they yeah. think that they're Alabama. They think they're Ohio State. They think they're Clemson. They think they're LSU. Guess what? When you're averaging 5.7 losses a year over a decade, you are, like Coach Parcells said, who your record says you are. You are mediocre. You are, you are not a big dog in, in, in the building right now. You're big when it comes to merchandising, and you're big when it comes to facilities and, 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 and playing in the coolest city in America. Okay, we get all of that. But when it comes to the bling bling championship rings, you've got one in the last 50 years. So let's call a thing a thing. And there's a reason that they have a fourth head coach in the last eight years. Hey, they've been all hat and no cattle, you know, to use the Texas saying. And, you know, I saw something interesting on Twitter uh, just today said I thought it was interesting. I should have, I think it was, uh, 
I think it was a, a female twi- tweeter, and it was very profound. It said, Charlie Strong, uh, humility without confidence. Tom Herman, confidence without humility. And I thought, boy, that's dead on. That's pretty right. Because everybody liked Charlie. We all liked Charlie. You really and, did. Still uh, did. We really did. We liked and respected him and uh, and hoped he had done better. But with Tom, Tom was standoffish, aloof, arrogant, whatever word you want to put on it. And he kept everybody at a distance. He was just the opposite of Charlie, had more success, but ultimately both failed in trying to get that greatness that Steve Sarkeesian was talking about Tuesday. And you know what, Doc? Um, uh, take that a step further. I think Sarkeesian is confidence with humility. He's been – he's a combination. Yeah. He's been through the ringer in his personal and his professional life. Right. and. I think he comes into this job realizing he's very fortunate to have an opportunity to coach a flagship program like the University of Texas after all he's been through in his varied stops yeah. in America. And he said that too, you know, he's, you know, his name was linked to, to Colorado. His name was kind of linked to South Carolina and Auburn this year. And uh, like he said Tuesday, he said, yeah, you look at it and go, that's a no. Look at it, that's going to no. Oh, University of Texas, that's a yes. I love that, man. I love it, that. It's, you know, it's still, I think they're fourth in the nation in all-time college football victories, fourth. So it's one of the blue bloods. It, forever, it was Michigan, Texas. They were right close to each other, almost a 1,000 wins. And and now Ohio State and Alabama have supplanted them, and Texas is sitting fourth, I believe, still ahead of Notre Dame. But this is a blue blood, and those expectations never change, no matter which coach comes in. So, and one thing I liked is that uh, you know you wrote about patience in the the Statesman on Wednesday, and this is a fan base not known for its patience, but it didn't seem like. Uh, Sark was uh, a very patient man, did he? No, he, it didn't. He said, I don't think it's going to take as long as a lot of people. I think. love that. I love that. I love swag. that he said it. Had some swag. Put the target on your back because everyone expects it already. Embrace that challenge. So the, the, the press conference on Tuesday was about almost an hour, and right. uh, President uh, Kevin L. Tyfe led off and thanked everybody. It was just such a love end. I mean – V.Y. was there and Colt was there. Longhorn royalty was in the building. Uh, and then uh, the president, Jay Hartzell, got up and talked a little bit of, about why he thought this was the right hire. I love this place and I'm a Longhorn. And today is a great day to be a Longhorn. We seek to be excellent in what we do, whether it's in the laboratory, in the classroom or on the football field. We're in the talent business, and we believe that we bring together talented students, faculty, staff, and alumni. Great things happen. We recruit the best and brightest to the University of Texas, and today presents the latest example of that, as we've recruited one of the best and brightest coaches in the world to join us here at UT. We want all of our students to be the best in whatever they pursue. Hiring Coach Sarkeesian is a critical investment in our football program's future to position our students and our student athletes to be the best. So, Duck, when you look at what Jay Hartzell said there, uh, he's talking about being the best. And 
I still think it's it's not it's kind of a questionable hire because he hasn't been great as a head coach, forty six and thirty five. Right. But but he but he does come with some upside and. You know, I hate to say this, but part of his charm is that he's not Tom Herman in the view of the people who are employing him now. No, I think I think I think the luster wore off of Tom and and Tom had some problems in his locker room and uh, with with the eyes of Texas fiasco and all of that. And I think they just wanted a fresh start. Yeah, they do. And this guy may be the best offensive play caller in the business Uh you know, as uh, Hartzell said, they're in the talent business. Yes. And they are. And, and Sarkeesian said, we've got some talent. He said, I don't think it's going to take as long as people think. I was looking at the Alamo Bowl speed card here, Sid, and I counted uh, 13 Alamo Bowl starters for Texas are returning, 13. And then I counted the backups, you know, backups like Roshan Johnson, uh, Jordan Whittington, Brendan Schooler, tight end Jared Wiley, uh, David Gabenda, linebacker, Jake Kobe Jones, Vernon Broughton. You know, they got some guys, some talent that have played. Who have there. played, who have played. They've been on the field. So I've counted like at least 17 players who have played some or a lot uh, in roles. So that's about 30 players you can count on. You got to have the quarterback. You look at a Mac Jones. Mac Jones for Alabama was a three-star uh, recruit. Almost went to Kentucky and believed in himself, and went to Alabama and sat. What did he sit? Three years? I don't know. It was three or four. This was his senior year. He stayed around for one shot. You know, you would think he'd be a transfer portal guy. But he ends up in New York. Well, what did he do with that shot? You know, he, he made him some money, Duck. He's going to get drafted now. The first rounder, yes. Say, some people say, and he had Joe Burrow numbers. It's amazing. He didn't have the sixty touchdown passes that Burrow had, but he was right up there. So, and that had a hellacious final game. Oh my! Against God. Ohio State, and obviously Waddle was out most of the all the season. And caught like three balls, I think, on Monday, and then Devonta Smith, the Heisman winner, barely played. Like what one play the second half. And then he was out, and they still, you know, uh, kept it going. And uh, that's one thing I loved about Sarkeesian. He's very creative. He gets mismatches with his best players like Devontae Smith. I love that little play in the first half where Devontae, uh, it's like they were going to do a jet sweep, and he stopped, and he ran yeah. back the other way, and he threw him a little screen pass, never and he just walked into the end zone. Never, you don't never. see a lot of creativity on the college level like that. No. I, I was asked you that very question. Did uh, How many times in the four years that Tom was here did he run a play where you went, wow, wow? They ran a few trick plays, but there weren't there weren't as many smart like plays where it was like, man, I like what they did there. With right. creativity, it was pretty much uh, vanilla offense, but it was very effective. Uh, they averaged forty-two points a game, so let's not let's not act like Tom's offense was chopped liver. It was not, and so even, even the play you mentioned, Devontae Smith, it was it wasn't really a trick play. It was he an RPO play. Yeah, went motion, and then he went back to where he vacated. So it was just a a smart play. No, no, you're right, Tom Herman you know, uh, put up offensive numbers. And that was his calling card. Now they had Sam Ellinger, four-year starter. Not going to have that Sarkeesian's first year. You got two guys vying for a spot, and neither one has ever started a game uh, on the college level. So how do you see that working out? 
I see, I see, I see it being a challenge. I see they have a, a relatively uh, tame non-conference schedule with, um, yeah, is it, well, they got Louisiana. Louisiana Lafayette. They're good, but you got rice and then you got Arkansas on Ar- Arkansas and Arkansas. You think they're a little coming up a little bit, but then they go right back down. So you don't know what to expect from the hoggies. So I, th- I think, I, th- I think it's Casey Thompson's job to lose, yes. but we haven't seen a lot of Hudson card, but I think, Casey Thompson came in in that bowl game and showed that, yeah, I have skills right. and, and, and I'm faster than Sam Ellinger. I'm more elusive than Sammy. So he's more the prototypical dual threat quarterback that we're seeing dominate the game these days. I bet uh, it's going to be a wide open battle between Thompson and Card. He didn't, he didn't know these guys. He, I'm sure uh, he saw the Alamo Bowl. I'm sure he did because he was considering Texas. Of course. But, it's already uh, been hard, maybe. They, they really though. need the spring. I mean, Tom bemoaned the fact they didn't have a spring practice, you know, for the entire year. Uh, and and this was his fourth year, you know. Yeah, he had seven new assistants, but that was his own doing. But, you know, Sarkeesian really needs a spring. He hadn't got his staff yet together, and we're mid-January. Oh, I know. Duck, um, I was really interested in the process. Uh, we've talked to Chris Del Conte, and um, the hire hit us from left field. We didn't see it coming. Uh, the firing of Tom and the hiring of um, Sark, we didn't see coming because uh, we we were led to believe, you know, that it was going to be Tom in 2021, and uh, things happened, but. Uh, right water under the bridge, but I was really interested to hear Del Conte's take on the process uh, of, of he, Kevin L. Tye, and President Jay Hartzell, uh, how they put their heads together to hire Steve Sarkeesian. Check out what uh, CDC had to say at the presser. This past month has been one of the most enjoyable months of my life, getting a chance to be challenged by you daily, to talk about what the University of Texas is. And I, I realized that when we ultimately decided to make a change and we had the discussion, I said to both of you, we're going to make a change. I need your help. We're going to have a committee of three. And I've never been in line with two individuals in my life like I've been with the two of you. To have a chairman of the board of trustees and Kevin Altife graciously agree to help us in the search process. And my boss, who is an incredible president for the University of Texas, Jay Harsel says, let's do this. Let's do this together. And we went about the idea of finding the talented person to lead our program. And through these discussions, we were having these great discussions, throwing out names about who could be, and we're vetting coaches. I love Coach uh, uh, Chairman Altive. He goes, how about that boy, Sark? He's a hell of a coach. I said, Coach Sarkeesian? Oh, yeah. I kind of laughed. I said, I like him too. And Jay goes, oh, uh, he's the guy. Probably the first time I sat there and walked out of that meeting going, holy cow, we actually agree. We had our guy. And we had a guy through the difficult conversations of where we wanted the University of Texas to go. And Steve, your life journey and what you've accomplished. There's a sign in the waiting room that says, the University of Texas winning tradition shall not be entrusted to the timid nor the weak. 
We need someone that was battle-tested, someone that understood what the University of Texas is, someone that understood that we are about winning championships. And looking back at your career, what you did at USC, the idea that you're offered the head coach of the Raiders at 31, head coach of Washington at 33. I couldn't imagine that responsibility and pressure on me at 33. And to see what you've done, and it got to a position you said, you know what, I went to USC, did my very best, and overcome the issues that you wanted to overcome. And the proud way that you say, I'm ready to leave this program today. I'm a better coach today and a better man today for who I've been and who I am. Inspired Chairman Altaif, inspired Mr. Hartzell, or President Hartzell. We sat there and said, this is who we want. I am so proud that you're our head football coach. I cannot wait to see what you do. If there's any indication of what happened last night, come on. So CDC goes, if there's any indication, come on. He's, he was very <laughs> excited, gave him a big hug. And, uh, man, I, I mean, if those three could go, go to, to Washington, D.C., may, maybe there wouldn't have been a siege on the Capitol <laughs> because they just they, – they had the love and understanding concept down. And uh, – it, it's 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 an interesting hire. I don't know that it'll turn out to be a great hire. Definitely an interesting hire, though. It's, you know, and what a great advertisement for Texas. I mean, Texas wasn't anywhere near uh, Miami and the Hard Rock Cafe Stadium, you know. Uh, but every time they show Sarkeesian, it's the next Texas coach. So, you know, they already got a commitment from a four-star receiver uh, I expect to see a whole lot more of that. You know, you and I have talked privately about, you know, Quinn Ewers, the South Lake Carroll's playing for a state championship. This Come week. on back, Quinn. There's room. <laughs> we'll still take you, right? It's, uh, it's, it's a blank slate, and it's going to be an open quarterback competition. I tell you what, if, if, if for some way, if Sarkeesian could turn his head, if Quinn Ewers – comes back to Texas or the Brockemeyers, which I don't expect. No, they're, they're going to stay. They want to be pros. Stay in Alabama. Yeah, stay. Go through the portal and do the whole Brew McCoy thing, I guess. But I think we're going to see recruiting pick up because yeah, he's a flavor of the month, but he's also a flavor of the month with he's the play caller and, and, you know, forget all the other trappings about coaching you see on the field, you're a player, you know, you're watching on the field calling plays and you, you got to be excited and pumped about that. You got to be excited. You got to be really, really geeked just to get out and, and, and see what kind of ingenuity he's bringing to this program. He gave a shout out to the high school tech coaches in Texas. He, he's reading from the Mac Brown playbook circa 2006 when they celebrated a national title and Mac shouted out all the high school coaches in this state. He said, this is your program. Yeah, that was a smart thing. Sark said, this is your program. Exactly. What are you going to do? Send me your best. Send me your finest wines and cheeses. He oh. wants it, Duck. Now, he wants the, the studs. Hold up on the wine, maybe the cheese. Too soon on the wine. A <laughs> little too soon on the wine. No offense take needed hey, there. He had a press conference Tuesday, 4 o'clock, and then I think he met some other people. He was supposed to do a Zoom with the boosters today or tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday as we speak. And, and he also went to San Marcos uh, Wednesday morning to, to meet with the high school coaches, uh, the board meeting, uh, the big cheeses in that sport. So he's doing exactly what he needs to do that and put together a staff. Uh, defensive coordinator is going to be an interesting hire. Uh, 
You know, I still expect Kyle Flood, the O-line coach at Alabama, yes. a former Rutgers head coach, to be his O.C., but Sarkeesian is going to call the plays. He made that clear. And Bo I, Davis. I, 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 would you have kept uh, Chris Ash? It doesn't look like it's going to happen, but it's possible. I thought Ash did just a terrific job this past season. What do you I think? Like, I like Ash. I like Ash a lot. And I think – I, th- I think if 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 they could come to a an agreement that you know if the personalities mesh because sometimes sometimes keeping a def- a coordinator from the previous regime that person is a little bit too close to the guy you replaced. But he was so, only here a year. I, I know what you're saying. A, a lot of them were only here a year, so <laughs> we know seven of them for sure. Yeah. So and it's good that he's going to keep some. He's Stan Drayton, the running backs coach, and Andre. <coughs> Excuse me, Andre Coleman, the wide receiver coach, uh, looks like they're going to be retained. And then Blake Gideon, the former safety from uh, uh, where was he from? Leander. Yes. Uh, Four year starter. I think he started 52 games. Uh, he did have one moment that, you know, we don't need to talk about here. But, well, you uh, know, Cowboy fans will say Dez caught the ball, but Longhorn fans are saying that about Blake. Let's just uh, leave it at that. He didn't catch Blake the ball. didn't catch the ball. Didn't catch the ball at Lubbock, but. He's got UT roots. He knows the state. You know, it's a smart kid. I really like daddy, Blake. Daddy coached, so yeah, that that's that's a good one. And uh, he better have some Texas ties because the only ties Sarkeesian had was he played A and M once, and then uh, he finished his career in the Cotton Bowl. Other than that, this is foreign territory to Sarkeesian. But it just sure looks like he's going to get up to speed very fast and. Uh, I don't know. It's a, what's the upside in year one? I know you preached about patience in your column. The uh, upside is make sure your quarterback, you have the right quarterback to get this thing true. rolling. And if that's Casey or if that's Hudson, we'll see. Remains to be seen. We know he's going to put up points. The weapons duck. The weapons are going to be back. B. John Robinson is, is, is a baby Marshawn Lynch in the making. Roshan Johnson is a solid number two. Uh, the line, they're going to lose some guys up front. They are. That's why it's going to pay to have an elusive quarterback. Right. Some re- the receivers are going to be fine. I mean, they always seem to have receivers. Um, tight end, Jared Wiley looks like he could really take off in this, in this incarnation of the offense. He yeah. even tweeted during the championship game, Throwing a lot to the tight end. I like it. He tweeted <laughs> during the game. So he's excited about it. I have concerns about the offensive line, Duck. I do. And I think the quarterbacks, uh, if they if they learn his system, a lot of RPO, you know, a, a lot of changes at the line of scrimmage, a lot of reactionary type plays that are a lot easier to learn than a, a lot of sophisticated verbiage uh, and predetermined plays. Well, we we came into this year wondering about the new staff, two new coordinators, both sides of the ball, and linebacker was probably the thinnest position, you know, on the on the squad. But you know, the, both coordinators, I thought, you know, handled themselves uh, well, and uh, like I said, linebacker became a strength with uh, Jawan Mitchell and and uh, Marvin Overshone with the trans. Uh, with the conversion from a uh, safety. So, and they're both back. They're both back. They are. And this year it's, I would, I'm agree with you. I think the old line and quarterback are the, are the two biggest 
mysteries and priorities for this team. So uh, I don't know. Good, I, want, I wonder about pass rush. You know, yeah, with with, with, been, the, with the professor, Osai yeah, the professor Osai's gone. But yeah. does but but is Jatavian Sanders that dude to, to plug and play right away right. from Denton Ryan? Uh, looks like a grown man uh, in in high school against quality competition. We'll see if he's still that guy in his first year. I never want to say a freshman is going to come in and dominate because you just never know no, uh, what you're going to get from a freshman. But the rest of the line, even though they do lose Osai and Taekwon, uh, they got some people there. Keandre Coburn is really got snacks. Snacks is back. Yeah, they got Ojimo, Jacoby Jones, Alfred Collins. That's you know, my guy. Got- we love us some big AC. Oh, big AC with the soft hands yeah. and Alamo Bowl. I mean, I, I, he's he he's he's got Puna Ford type tendencies. He's always around the ball and he's a disruptor. And that that can really give offenses problems. I think when you look at Collins, you get this is an SEC type player. Yes, the yes. Kind of guy that's starting for Alabama. Got to like Big Mouth, Big Mouth and Brown. Exactly. They got to get more of those. They got to manage the roster better, and they got to develop players better. And those are the two big considerations that the Sarkeesian has to address. And you know. Um, we asked him about his goals and all of that. Me in particular, I wanted to know uh, ab- about guys he's worked under. Check out the little exchange I had with Sark. Hey, Steve, um, what lessons did you take from your stops with Pete Carroll and um, Coach Saban that uh, maybe <clears throat> you didn't use in your first stops as coach as a head coach, but you can use now after those experiences? Yeah, I think the one thing, Coach Carroll and Coach Saban, I, I think the end result is very clear. They both want to win. Uh, they both want to develop young men into, into grown men. Um, I think they have the best interests of their players at heart. But the one lesson I got out of it was they did it their own way. Um, we all see Pete Carroll on the sidelines, the fun, energetic, upbeat personality that he has. And then we all see Nick Saban on the sidelines and the stern focus uh, and drive that he has, both of which work, right? They've both worked for each of them. Nick, uh, Pete Carroll is a national championship in college, Super Bowl champion in the NFL. Nick Saban, arguably the, the, the greatest college football coach of all time, seven national championships, both of which work. And what I got out of it was you got ha- you got to know who you are. you got to have a belief in who you are, and you have to stick to your beliefs, uh, neither of which wavered for those guys. I think it took them some time to figure out who they were. Clearly, I've had that time to do that, and I think once you can put those, those principles in place and, and stick to your guns and it's not one year we're this, the next year we're that, uh, you, you believe in who you are. And, and at that point, then you start to build your program. And uh, I think those two guys actually showed me two different ways of doing it, both of which were effective. So, Duck, he's saying that Pete Carroll and Nick Saban are both obsessed with winning, but they are, they are doing it in different ways. One guy's a a rah-rah extrovert type, and then you got the stern taskmaster with the other guy who just won a national championship. Where do you think he fits in all of that? You know, that's an interesting point. They couldn't be more different, the two mentors he had. Pete Carroll, who I always thought was made for Texas, you know, he brought him in, he would own this town because he was handsome, glib, witty, open, 
come on out to practice. You know, then you got Saban on the other side, ironclad. My rules are the only rules, discipline. Nothing goes except through me. So it's kind of interesting that he's had two different influences like that. So I think uh, the fact that he had that experience of working for both of those huge successes, both of them huge successes, is going to serve him well. I think as he becomes his own man as a head coach, you know, he was there, what, seven years and maybe part of the seventh year, and he was building Washington, and I think he may have gotten it done at Washington. Uh, Perhaps. But then Southern Cal, you know, mama called basically. Blue bloods. He went back there, and he was only there a year and a half before his personal problems uh, kind of sidelined him. So, you know, I'm sure he's looking at this. He said one thing that's interesting, said he said uh, – uh, I don't look at this as a destination. I look at it as a step, which kind of caught my ears. It's like, oh, does that mean I could see this? I'll just say this and keep this tape. Uh, he may have NFL. Uh, he does. He does. He may think, you know what, I'm going to go to Texas for three, four years, five years, get in the playoff a couple times, maybe win a championship, and then maybe I'll go. because I'll go work for Jerry. He's only 46, so. What's that? Yeah, then I go work for Jerry. Yeah. He's very young. He's a young head coach, and he's 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 23 years younger than Nick Saban. So he's got a long time in this business. He right. comes across as a head, as an NFL type coach, in my opinion. He does. A lot of the offensive coordinators, like Cliff Kingsbury, I never saw him as an NFL coach. No, I, I think he's miscast in the I- NFL. He's he took that a, job because it was offered to him. I've always thought he's more of a coordinator, quarterback coach. And I still think Jim Harbaugh is better is better suited to be an NFL yeah. coach. Yeah. Even though maybe his his way of doing business may rub veterans raw, you know, right. because he's he's kind he can be kind of a bully. But um I think Sark um is gonna do well here, but I still I could see him kind of like Matt Rule, uh coach coach two or three more years in this, in this uh, division or in this conference. And then if a college, if an NFL team comes calling, uh, then you have to answer that phone call. For sure. What else do we need to discuss on uh, our board? Well, one more thing on him. Uh, you had an interesting question for him uh, about, about what he's learned because he's not a Texan. So here's, here's, here's the question you ask Sark. Yes, Steve, uh, other than that cotton bowl game, you don't have a lot of Texas connections or roots. Uh, what have you been told about maybe any do's and don'ts about being the head coach at Texas? So you don't repeat any mistakes others have made. Well, I know not to go thumbs up and it's hook them. I know that much. So uh, let's start with that. And and I know it's uh, Texas first before the other school. So those two things jumped out at me today. Um, But, you know, more importantly is I think it's about developing relationships. And I I don't know, I don't mean to speak, you know, like I'm sitting here patting myself on the back, but I really try to develop authentic relationships with people, whether it's you all in the media, whether it's our players, whether it's recruits, whether it's our administration, um, whether it's our donors. Because I think when people find out you're authentic, you know, I could be from Mars, but at the end of the day, I'm an authentic guy. I want to get to know you and and I want you to know me. Um, And through that, that's how you can kind of build people and bring people in and and build your program. And so um, 
I'll get connected and it's not going to come overnight, but I'll get connected and, and we'll develop those relationships that are needed. Well, he's building those relationships as we speak, Duck. Um, uh, bro, drop the Aggies name says he loved to play the Aggies, Duck. I don't see it. I don't know that he'll be the coach here if those are, those two ever get back together. I don't know. We ought to look for it for years to come, if anything. So, uh, yeah, I'm the same way. Uh, he does have his hand gestures down. He's got that figured out. So, he's uh, kissing the hands of the high school coaches. He's got that figured out. So, uh, he, he said all the right things. and uh, Did he say all the right things, Doug? Okay. I think he did. Tell me, tell me where you go. What about the eyes of Texas, Duck? He was very forceful when asked about that. He right. said, um, that's our school song, and I'm going to expect our guys to sing it. Not right. expect our guys to stand while it's being played, but expect them to sing it. That yeah. might not play well with certain segments of the populace. And let's just keep it 100 on here, Duck. Prime recruiting recruits are people of color. And if their parents or those kids have a problem with it, uh, he might miss out on some great recruits. And uh, I think I think he was operating under orders from his bosses mm -hmm. to be real, to take a hard line on this Eyes of Texas issue because Tom Herman tried to be a player's coach mm -hmm. publicly Right. When 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 it came to the eyes, and it did not work, and it did not end well for Tom. No, he did, and uh, Chris Del Conte and Jay Hartzell, the president and the board of regents, have always been clear about this. They expect the athletic teams to stand for the eyes of Texas, not necessarily seeing it, not necessarily put the the hook them up, but to stand uh, on the court or the playing field to, uh, if anything, just pay homage to the school and to thank the fans. That's how it originally started with Mac Brown is like, let's thank the fans for their support because they didn't do this under the Daryl Royal years. You know, they didn't, they didn't, I don't know when they played the, the eyes of Texas after games, but uh, uh, yeah, he, he spoke strongly and whether he was, I don't think, you can tell him. I don't think Chris Conte or Jay Hartsville can tell him. This is what you need to say. I think they probably schooled him in terms of this is our administrative stand. And uh, Tom uh, Herman kind of rebelled at that. He did not enforce that mandate from the tower. So uh, I, I think he's uh, his own man, so he's going to say what he feels. I think there probably will be some pushback on the singing. And uh, maybe if that comes up in living rooms, I could see uh, Sarkeesian having come from that Saban background saying, okay, well, I'm sorry. It is our alma mater. And, and that's kind of, there's so many issues and so many different layers to that. But I think, I think duck before it even comes down to a home visit, that's going to be brought up. You should, you just got to say, look, what not to recruits, like what are you, what's your view on the eyes of Texas? You have a problem singing our school song. I bet he doesn't bring it up. I think he'll, he'll wait till the kids till the kid brings sure. it up. Yeah, you're, you're kind of crazy. You're almost picking a fight if you bring it up. I just think, and I think the band should play it. The band, uh, it just makes no sense to me when you say the band won't play the school alma mater. Okay, you know it's like but if they have a fundamental difference with the lyrical content, we, but it we, is the alma mater. But the school says 
That is our alma mater. We are not changing that. You know, I mean, then you have to ask yourself if you want to be in the band. Well, exactly. Exactly right. And I don't think they should be. It's check the pledge of allegiance. Or you have to ask yourself, if, do you want to be involved with the with, with the culture at Texas? Don't yeah. you know, you have to ask yourself if you want to attend. Right. If that if it means that much to you, Duck, and people have the right to choose, then don't come. Absolutely. And I respect your decision to not come I if you don't too. come. But if I you're here and, and, and they want you to do it, you have to know before you got here that right. as an athlete, that that's going to be a requirement after all of this, that's just happened over this last year, the turmoil and all of that. Right. I know that the department doesn't ever want to go through that again. And I'm mm -hmm. um, uh, right or wrong. Uh, it's their school. It's their song. And if, if someone signs there, uh, they're going to have to deal with that. If, if you want to be part of it, Mm -hmm. The way it's sounding now, Duck, uh, this is not a negotiation. This is how it's going to be. Yeah, and, and and we come from different different viewpoints. You know, uh, my dad went to UT. He was on the UT football team, didn't really play any, but he was on the team in the 1930s. I'm um, one of four boys. We all went to UT. And it, that song means something to me. And it, it means different things to different people. I understand that. But my opinion was it was never uh, created with the intent to disparage or dehumanize uh, African-Americans. And like I said, I've been covering the Longhorns for 50 years and I've written two books and 25 million stories about it. And I never had an athlete ever raised this subject. We One of the books John Mayer and I wrote, we did a whole chapter on on black relations at, at this school. And you and I both know they haven't been good. It doesn't have a good history of black relations. And, uh, but no athlete ever mentioned it to me uh, or to John and, and, you know, different things come to light. And I understand that, but I think you're right. It's a player's choice. And uh, I think they'll probably be firm in saying this is our expectation. And if you can't live with that and, that's the reason you don't want to come, then maybe you shouldn't come. Same as the band. Yeah, and and, and to be fair and balanced, uh, uh, more than one athlete has brought it up to me over the years, and I've only been on the beat since '02. But um, I, I I think it. I don't know that it'll ever get back to being a hot button topic under the Sarkeesian under the under the Sarkeesian regime because he basically laid down the gauntlet that. This is what it's going to be. And, you know, he has the full support of Chris Del Conte, Jay Hartzell, and all the way up the ladder, Kevin L. Type. But it's going to be an interesting ride, Duck. It's going to be an interesting ride. Steve Sarkeesian is the new head football coach at Texas. A couple of hundred days and some change to the season opener. And we can't wait. On Second Thought. Crime lovers are always looking for new and engaging content. The Already Gone podcast covers stories from Michigan and the Great Lakes region. Cases you haven't heard before, like the Mayo Hunters or the murder of 16-year-old Justin Mello. Plus, better-known cases like the death of Jane Bashara and Illinois' own Lori Dan. Already Gone started in 2016, so there is a big back catalog for you to enjoy. 
Find Already Gone on Apple Podcasts, Good Pods, or your favorite podcatcher. Duck, before we get out of here. Yeah. We got to talk about the, 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 the NCAA championship game. Bad was, was okay for for a minute, Duck. It was 14 all, and I was like, yeah. we just want a competitive game. And I'm, I'm I, I go to the fridge and I grab a I grab a frosty beverage. I warm something up in the microwave and it's 28-14. And I'm like, what 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 happened? Why it's 35-14. Did, why did you go to the kitchen? If you hadn't gone to the kitchen, we'd have had a, a great game. Oh, well, because I was hungry and I hadn't eaten. Okay. And I got it. I got yeah, it. there were things going on and, and it just it just morphed into something hideous. We got and, bad things. And and America apparently went to the kitchen and didn't come back. <laughs> a lot of them stayed in the kitchen. So listen to these numbers. So the semifinal games that were won by Alabama and Ohio State averaged 18.8 million viewers. And then the championship game drew 18.7 million. That's way down from last season's 25.6 million who tuned in to watch Clemson and LSU. That's a drop off. That's a huge drop off. That means that's like New York decided not to, not to, yeah, we won't watch. We won't watch. That's... The way, the way I look at it, a couple points. Alabama is so damn good. Alabama has, in some ways, just sucked all the air out of the room for college football. And it's like we kind of love dynasties, but we don't always love them. We don't always pull for them. No, we don't always pull them. They're good for the sport. But tell the like... truth. Didn't you want Ohio State to win that game? Didn't you kind of want Ohio State to win that game? Or did you just... I kind of did. I yeah. kind of wanted Al. I, I wanted Sark to have a nice game, give sure. us give us something nice to write about. But I wanted a good team. I wanted a good competitive uh, team. I, I wanted Clemson, LSU. I wanted I wanted fireworks from both sides. Yeah, and I don't know. And part of it is that it was on a Monday night, and there's never going to be as good as those semifinal games, which were on New Year's Day. Kind of love it when everybody's it, home. Everybody's home. We had just come off the weekend. We'd seen six NFL playoff games, three on Saturday, three on Sunday. You Which were, I love, by the way. Yeah. Are they keeping that? I hope so. Are they keeping that playoff added, format? It was love. They added two wildcard teams. So it was I wonderful. Hope that. Love that. Love that. But I don't know. But but as far as how much of that do you feel like is, okay, Alabama pulled away at halftime and then never really got closer how much of it was the score and how much of it is Alabama fatigue in your mind? A little bit of both. And I'm going to tell you, I think that people didn't tune in period because they knew Alabama was going to kill Ohio state. True. They just knew. Yeah. They just knew. Right. And, and why, why show up to a fight where you, unless it's Mike Tyson in the early eighties, where you just already yeah. know the conclusion, there's no drama. So that's what excited me about 14 all, but then you see Trey Sermon is not coming back to play. And Trey Sermon, the Oklahoma Sooner transfer, was the story of the postseason for Ohio State. He mm-hmm. he ran over and through Clemson like it was nothing. We had over 500 yards in two games against Northwestern and uh, Clemson. It was we didn't just- see that. I didn't see that Trey Sermon at Oklahoma. No. You know what's funny? Speaking of that, is that Sermon transferred from Oklahoma to Ohio State. T.J. Pledger 
just announced he's transferring from Oklahoma to Utah, I believe. Mm-hmm. And I think Rambo, the wide receiver, is transferred. Maybe is it to Miami? I'm I think he's transferring to he's transferring to Miami, I believe. Yes. So anyway, so some of these players are leaving, which is going, man. Why do you leave? Why do you leave Lincoln Riley? That offense that you know they're they probably would have done just as good against uh, Alabama as Ohio State did. So oh, I know. I don't know and, if there's trouble in paradise or what, but that what you, yeah, it was surprising. Another thing I wanted to ask you about the game. Uh, I tweet uh, Devontae Smith got hurt and uh, Jalen Waddle came back from that ankle. First of all, why is Jalen Waddle even playing in that game? And second of all, why were people ripping uh, ripping us for saying Devontae Smith should shut it down at half? There, I said he's got nothing to prove. He's got 200 yards receiving. Uh, he's a he's a little guy who doesn't need to risk getting hurt any further because he's got NFL aspirations. He's going to be a first-round pick. And people came from my throat on Twitter. I'll say this about <coughs> Waddle. I think Waddle just wanted – give me a taste. You know, well, I, Once he started – once Waddle started waddling, because <laughs> he was limping, duh, yes, get, out, get the hell off the, off the field. But it was the same thing. You know, Landon Dickerson, their All-America center – that was, cool that, that was cool at the end. That was cool. Blew at his knee. I'm sure he was begging, saying, but just let me get a snap. Because he said, Yeah, I played in the national championship game. You don't you don't have to tell your grandkids all the details, but yeah, yeah, I played in the national hey, championship. Hey, I, I carried Nick Saban off the field. <laughs> he did. I picked him off amazing. and carried him off the field. Which amazing. I thought was a great moment. Yeah, I thought that was a pretty cool moment. Here's this monolith, here's this, you know, dinosaur, monsters of the midway. And they look like they did have a heart. They did care about Nick Saban. And I think Waddle and Dickerson playing kind of spoke to that as well. So it, it's terrible business sense. Makes no business sense whatsoever. But, you know, they didn't opt out. Now you're playing for a ring. That's different. I understand. But there were no opt outs by Waddle or Dickerson. So they just wanted their little piece, their taste of the championship. They're chasing greatness, like Sarkeesian said. And I, you know, and that's fine. And that's fine. Uh, look, looking ahead, though, uh, I yeah. wonder if college football has a viewership problem. You could chalk some of it up to 2020, but right. seven, but seven and, and a half million people tuning out—that is not good for the product. Uh, and uh, the um, 2004 BCS title game between USC and Oklahoma drew 21.4 million, and I believe the Texas game drew like 26. Texas USC drew like 26 million because that was an un that was an unquestionable clash of the Titans oh, yeah. one versus two Reggie versus Vince Matt Liner and all of that crew so we knew that that was going to be a box office smash and 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 people were divided on both sides as to who was going to win that game but this game had no drama at the beginning uh, before before the game because everyone just knew that Alabama was going to win another championship. I just, I just think the sport has a problem, you know, and I think, uh, we're, I think we're both for expansion and expanding the field from, from four because we're seeing the same teams. You know, I think they're uh, – what was this year? Was this year seven? I'm trying to think. There have been like seven teams that have been in the CFP one time, and then there's a couple of others that have been there twice. Then there's Alabama. 
Ohio it's State, Alabama, Clemson, Clemson, Ohio State, and LSU, Oklahoma. and LSU. Well, she's only been there one time. Once I think Joe, Joe Burrow, yeah, Joe but, Burrow. Yeah, even once. So it's the same four teams basically, and that's bad for the sport. So I think you got to expand it. And part of my objection is that you know we love the beauty of the NCAA basketball tournament. We love where a, a 16 seed finally beat a one seed, but we don't have that possibility in college football. So, uh, you know, open it up. Uh, and I don't there know. are never, there are never more than 10 great teams in one year. But it doesn't uh, so if you expand it, if you expand it to eight teams, you're going to get the legitimate contenders for a championship. Cause you, I mean, even if Alabama blows out number eight, Cincinnati, you know, at least, at least we know that Cincinnati. We 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 get we get the 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 split between a number one and a number eight. But who's to say that a team like Cincinnati or a team like Coastal uh, give them a shot at the apple? I mean, let's quit pretending that these teams are are are, are legitimately being considered for top four because they aren't, Doc. They're not, and they never will be unless we expand. But, you know, like Miami Heat, who thought they'd be in the NBA championship, you know? You never think a Boise State's going to be Oklahoma. Uh, I I salute Cincinnati. I want Cincinnati to have a chance. And, and SMU, a UCF, a Coastal Carolina, a Lafayette, let them have their chance. BYU. I mean, yeah, BYU. I mean, give them a chance. Open it up. And, yeah, you don't want all these blowouts. It's like, oh, if you go, well, that just means you have another round of blowouts. Well, give two teams a bye and then play them on campus. And uh, Championship weekend is usually like December 5th. Yeah, restore some of And then right after the very next week, you can have the first – you can have the first of three weeks. The first – well, you could have the first round games, one V8, two set V7, three versus six, and four right. versus five. Jeez. The next week, you do the semifinals, take Christmas off, and come back on New Year's. Right after the New Year's six games, That just like they did here, give those teams two, two weeks to recover, give, just like the Super Bowl does, and then do it. Do the, do the championship game. Yeah, I just it I just, will sell like hotcakes. Why wouldn't it? I just feel like college football is just too rigid. And if they were ever gonna, you know, think out of the box, be a little more creative than that, uh, now was the time. We see the NBA playing in a bubble in Orlando, Florida. We see the World Series moving to Arlington, the Texas Rangers team. We we do see the Rose Bowl. You know, moving to Arlington, but but give it a chance, okay? Uh, and then do it one year. Go to eight teams one year. It doesn't mean it's etched in stone. It's a pandemic, okay? I'm gonna tell you, if you go to eight teams in one year, it's gonna it, it's the TV rating is gonna be through the roof. Yeah, I people think- love more football, and they love it when the good teams are playing against one another. And I'm gonna tell you, if number nine has a case to get in, that's that's better than than the Aggies on the outside looking in. Because yeah. the Aggies ought to be going, well, you know, I know Alabama blew us out, but we were a better team at the end of the year than we yeah. were when we played Alabama. Right, right. I agree. I agree. I mean, you could say Clemson didn't deserve a shot. They lost to Notre Dame. They didn't get blown out, but they did lose to Notre Dame. 
Oh, I'm looking at James Harden traded to the Nets. Oh, wow. James Harden traded to the Nets. Oh, let's talk about some disgruntled superstars yeah. in sports. Look, James Harden is going to the Jer- the New Jersey Nets at the, at the time of this taping. We don't know for what, but according to ESPN's Woj, Adrian Wojnarowski, who is what, Duck? A friend of On Second Thought Dog, a friend of the podcast, along with with Ramona Shelburne, James Harden has pouted and eaten his way out of Houston. (laughs) And they also get Victor Oladipo in a three-way deal, along with, uh, oh, okay, and the Cavs get Jarrett Allen. Okay. Oh, the pro from Austin? Yeah. So uh, this all kind of stuff. A lot of draft picks, too, involved. Uh, yeah, it looks like James Harden has, like you say, talked and eaten his way out of Houston. And that's the that's the market and the climate that we're in there where the players, even on the college level to a certain degree, are recognizing the leverage they have, uh, the clout that they have. You know, teams are trying to get together on the NBA level and, and trade themselves almost, you know, into a championship team. So – uh, I don't know. Is that a good thing in your mind? You, I know you love the NBA. I love the NBA, but I don't love uh, players who are franchise players leaving, leave, leaving because they didn't get it done. I don't you respected KD as much uh, because he jumped on the Golden State bandwagon. I don't care that he got two finals MVPs. He got two finals MVPs because Klay Thompson and Steph Curry allowed him to just shoot and not have to be the focal point. And so uh, he, he did what he did well. And I, I was I'm still very, very – I was disappointed in KD because I really thought um, that, that they let one – they let it get away from him at Oklahoma City. There was, I can't remember the year, but they were the best team in the league. And um, it was uh, – you know, we just – I just got a text from another friend of the podcast, John McClain, who said – so sorry, said we wanted him to come on and talk about James Harden and Deshaun Watson and all of that. He's he's very, very busy today. And we're <laughs> going to try to get John McClain on next week because he's got a lot to talk about, a lot going on in his city. Deshaun Watson disgruntled Andre Johnson ripping the VP of personnel Easterby. Uh, Andre Johnson was not a guy duck. Andre Johnson was not a guy to complain. Never he played with the Houston Texans, but Never. he stands with Deshaun Watson. They're disgruntled uh, because of Houston's uh, ignoring ignoring a search yeah. firm's recommendations right. for a GM and going and and Cal McNair just picking Alex from New England Casario out of a hat. Yeah. Yeah, I think he. I don't. don't, It sounded like they asked for Deshaun Watson's input before they hired Nick Casario. But oh, is it Nick? And did I say Alex? Is it Nick? I don't know. I wasn't listening, but uh, the name. But I mean, if you ask for a guy's input, you ought to at least heed it and give him some notice. Say thank you. So I think partly reason. If I had to guess right now, next week, well, KC Chiefs probably still be playing, but. I really think Bienemy is going to be the 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 next coach at uh, Houston myself because 
you got to have a really good head coach, but you have to have a franchise quarterback. I don't, already, if I'm the enemy, I stay far, far away from Houston. Well, I don't know. Because, of, because of the ownership, it yes. seems unstable. I don't worry about and that. I don't know that Cal McNair is, is, is pushing the right buttons. He's hiring a search firm for a million dollars and, yeah. and not listening to the recommendation. It here, speaks to instability. Give me the Los Angeles Chargers with Justin Herbert and Keenan Allen and 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 Melvin Ingram and Austin Eckler and Mike Williams. They have a nice squad. They have a rookie quarterback um, who's not as good as Deshaun Watson yet, right. but he has tremendous upside in a brand new stadium in a major media market. Give me that job because I just don't trust what McNair is putting down right now. I agree with you. I think the Chargers would be my number one. Uh, Philadelphia would be my number last, however many job openings there are. But, you know, even you look at Jacksonville, okay, maybe they get Trevor Lawrence. How much else? I think they're a lot farther away than the Atlanta Falcons. You know, you don't know about that organization, Matt Ryan. How much time? Urban Meyer interviewing with Jacksonville Friday. I know. So I don't know. I'm like you. I'd rather have the Chargers, but I think I would take Houston second because you're in the state of Texas, no state income tax, and you've got your quarterback's blessing, and you have a franchise quarterback. Trevor Lawrence could could be a total flop. I don't think he will be. But I think Houston would be the second best job. If and if I can't get the enemy, uh, I'd probably hire Doug Peterson at uh, Philly because uh, I think he's a very good coach. He obviously was good enough to win a Super Bowl. The question is: Is he going to try to? Um, he's going to. Is he going to try? Is he going to try to win every game? Uh, that's the question. With well, um, I, I don't know what happened there. He. he I think that's right. He got fired. I, I, think, I think I think that played a large role because the players were irate, and and you don't you don't bring in Nate Sudfeld because you want to give him a look. You give Nate Sudfeld a look at practice. Don't I give him a look. I think maybe that was maybe was he giving the finger to the management because you know a lot of the word out of Philly is that he he was tired of having no say or no control. I mean, you know what some famous coaches have said about shopping for the groceries. So maybe he, maybe he was trying to push the agenda and push the envelope. So asking to be fired because they obviously side with Carson Wentz over Doug Peterson. So, you know, if I'm Houston, I hire Eric Bieniemy or Doug Peterson and, and don't look back if it was me. So I just think uh, uh, it's, it's just fun to talk NFL football. Yeah, it is. Uh, all right. Uh, what, what do you got this weekend? Um, in, in the NFL, let's go ahead. Let's go ahead. I, I think that the uh, Kansas City Chiefs are, are going to win the Super Bowl again. But what do you think? Hap- what do you think happens this weekend? It's, it's the uh, Cleveland Browns, I believe, at Kansas City. Yes, and I think that's going to be a lot better game than a lot of people think. Because one, Cleveland has firepower. We know that. And two, they got that two-headed running back monster in Chubb and uh, Hunt that, you know, can really control the ball and keep it out of Pat Mahomes' hands. And now they got confidence after going into Pittsburgh and, and bloody in their nose. So you I, know, and Kansas City's not blowing people out like they did last oh, year. 
for for a bunch of weeks in a row. They they aren't the same team, and you know now they've been off. What is it going to be three weeks? Because I don't think Mahomes played the last game. I'm not saying Cleveland's going to upset them, but if they did, it wouldn't shock me. They're going in there with nothing to lose. What about uh, Baltimore at Buffalo? And that's intriguing as hell. I, I, I try to convince myself that Buffalo's that good, and I just go, well, I saw Josh Allen. I was at their playoff game when, when Houston beat Buffalo last year, and I'm going, eh, I'm not sure how good this uh, Josh Allen is. But, boy, he stepped up, hadn't he? he yeah, he stepped, he stepped up, and, and uh, he proved his, his uh, completion percentage by more than – uh, 12 points, which is amazing. Um, uh, the Cleveland Browns, uh, one more thing on them. I, I think Pittsburgh's in trouble. I think Big Ben is done. Yeah. Cleveland exposed them. And Mike Tomlin, uh, I, th- I think Kevin Colbert, the GM, might be out. There's going to be some big-time changes. I don't know that Tomlin is out. The uh, The Rooney's like stability, and Tom Tomlin's – uh, never had a losing season, so I don't know that he's out. But they're gonna, but they're gonna have to reevaluate. Big Ben, nineteen million next year. I don't know that I want him back. He yeah. looked like a shell of himself. And this is a good year for drafting quarterbacks too. Uh, I don't think they'd even consider uh, firing Mike Tomlin because he'd he'd get about four job offers in a minute and a half <laughs> as soon as he got fired. But they don't run the ball as well. As they used to, worst, not, worst rushing team in the league. Yeah, and they're not as physical as they used to be. They got it's, pushed around by Cleveland. It's not Steeler football, Doug. It's not Steeler football. I, I, I kind of think I kind of like Baltimore beating Buffalo on the road. What do you got? I do too. I got I got I got Baltimore winning that. I think I think uh, Lamar Jackson has figured things out. There, Hollywood Brown has, has really started to come on of late, and and uh, his fellow OU Sooner, Mark Andrews. Has yeah. found his stroke. Let's let's hit that NFC before we go. Um, Rams at Green Bay. I'm going to tell you, Aaron Rodgers is is going to win the MVP, but I don't know that they fit in. Um, uh, what's his name? Un- Jones, the running back. I don't know that they fed him enough this no. year. I really don't. And um, that front is disruptive. I think they're going to get after Aaron Rodgers. But uh, Jared Goff playing with that bad thumb, I just don't know that the Rams have enough offense to beat Green Bay and Lambeau. Packers are going to win that game. You got Rodgers. He's my MVP. Aaron Donald's hurt. You know, he's got – what has he got, cracked ribs? He's got ribs. Those are – yeah. Did you see how he just kind of doubled over? That was painful to watch. If you don't have Donald or you have a 50% Donald and you're going with John Wolford, uh, give me, give me the Packers all day long. All right, now this last one, the Chicago Bears. Uh, they New Orleans beat the Chicago Bears, and now they're going to get, they're going to get the septuagenarian bowl. Tom Brady, forty-three year old Tom Brady, and I believe forty-one year old Drew Brees going at it with a chance to get to the championship game. I'm taking New Orleans. Um, I don't feel great about it, but I think they know enough to feed um, to, to feed Kamara against a uh, Tampa Bay defense that can be had. Going to be a heck of a game. Uh, I, it's the battle of grandpas. Uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not going to bet against Brady. He's got a lot of weapons. Ronald Jones, you know, is not Kamara, but you know he's had a good year and he just got a lot of weapons. And Mike Evans and he's he's hobbled and Chris Godwin and Gronk and I don't know. I just think, you know, the, the Super Bowl's in Tampa. I hope the dream stays alive a little bit. Uh, I don't like to 
pull against uh, uh, our boy Drew Brees, but uh, I can't think Tampa Bay goes in there and gets it done. Yeah, well, too bad. I, I miss us having having uh, watching football together during the playoffs. Oh my! We God. might need to we might need to mask up and, and get together. <laughs> we'll see, man. We'll see. That's for another show. But that's going to do it for episode two oh six of On Second Thought. Thank you guys for joining us for the Duck Kirk Bowls. I'm Cedric Golden. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to On Second Thought, powered by Hook'em.com. Join Seth and Kirk every Thursday at lunch for a new episode. Archived episodes are available on iTunes and Google Android Play.